Turn to Luke's gospel a moment, please. Luke's gospel, chapter 15, and I just want to read the first verse there before I go to verse 11. Luke's gospel, chapter 15. It's the parable of the lost sheep, or the prodigal son. Goes by many names. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Look at this. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, or in your version, it may say Pharisees and sinners. Now, Pharisees and sinners were gathering around Jesus. Who was gathering? Pharisees and sinners. Pharisees and sinners. Now, look at uh, verse 11. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son to the same group. So he's talking to Pharisees and sinners. Jesus continued to this group. There was a man who had two sons. So the younger one, uh, sorry, the, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He, he, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So that's the sinner. Now for the Pharisee. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them, What's going on? Your brother has come home, they replied, and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me as so much as a young goat even to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Today we're going to look this morning at one brother and tonight at the other brother. And, you know, to begin with, uh, well, let's begin with the prodigal, actually. There's an enormous amount in this, folks. This was a person who had to learn the hard way. Now, I don't know how you got saved. 
Somebody preached the gospel. I don't know if it was a great struggle for you to come to Christ. I think of you, Jeanette. Jeanette heard the gospel and gently, peaceably, amiably, she walked and gave her life to Christ. It was real easy, real simple, no resistance. And then there's me. <laughs> I didn't want to go. I'm not going to church. I'm not. It, was a, it was a fight. It was a battle. When I had to go to school for the first time, I jammed my feet on either side of the door and I wouldn't let my brother push me in. I'm not going. And that has been the story of my life. Sorry, I'm just telling the truth. Some people, they, they, they understand the easy way. And some people, everything has to be hard. And the prodigal son was like that. Now, there's a problem there. If you got saved the hard way, if your life had to be destroyed before you turned to Christ, like me, then you need to be one careful cookie. Because you know what? That could become the pattern of your life. So that it's not just salvation, you see. The same son will have the same problem. It's like every time God wants to move you or, or grow you, you become resistant to change. The same resistance you had to salvation. It's a pattern. It's a, it's a people type. So what are you like? What sort of person are you? How did you get saved? And is that a pattern? Now, we'll look at that in detail tonight. But man, the prodigal was one short-sighted boy. I, I played snooker for years, as you know, and snooker is a great uh, sport for illustrating Christian things, you know. Um, one of the things you need to do in snooker is, is when you're going to pot a red, you need to pot a red and then a color, then a red, then a color, right? When you're going to pot a red, you've always got to be thinking about your next shot. So you've got to be three shots ahead, really. There's no point in potting a red if you can't get, you know, two or three more points after that. And it's a good illustration for the Christian life. Because the prodigal, he made a decision without thinking of the next step. He made a choice without considering, you know, what will my life be like when I make this choice? You understand? You see, guys, listen. You need to think like this. Don't ask yourself, do I want to make this decision? Ask yourself, when I've made this decision will I want my life? Will I want the reality of this? Project yourself. Think a few shots ahead. Have vision. Vision for your future. Vision for the decisions you make. Get biblical wisdom into your choices. Okay? But tonight we'll look at, at the prodigal. For this morning, I want to look at the elder brother. In your Bible, take a look at your, at your Bible at the moment. What's, what is the heading over that chapter? Chapter 15. What's the heading? What does, it, what does it say? The title? The prodigal son. Anything else? The lost sheep. Okay. Do you know that, folks? Do you know those words? They're not from God. They're not from God. It's important to realize that. The titles, the chapter headings are not Scripture. The, 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 the numbers of the chapters, chapter 12, chapter 15, none of that is in the original text. It's important, you know. So they're all added over time. Now, <laughs> anywhere that man gets involved, it kind of mess things up, you know, because that, 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 that title is definitely chosen by men. I, I think of Romans chapter 12. That's one of the worst divisions in the whole of Scripture. Paul has taken us on a journey, and then somebody stops the chapter. Ha! Huh, what do you want to stop there for? 
So you have to be careful of chapter divisions. They're not part of Scripture. They were added by men. You need to be careful of the titles because the title of, of the prodigal son, it's misleading. It's misleading because of this, that the story's not about the prodigal. The story's about the elder brother. You read it at the beginning of chapter 15. Jesus was talking to Pharisees and sinners, remember? It, 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 was, it was the Pharisees, really, that the heart of the story. At the end of the story, who's the father talking to? The elder. The story begins with the elder, and the story finishes with the elder. And it's, it's he, really, that you know, the heart of God is trying to reach out to. In that case, it was the Jews. The word prodigal means extravagant. It means spendthrift. It can also mean generous in some ways. And there were two brothers. One of them was mean, stingy, and one of them was probably had a basic generous nature, but became extravagant or a spendthrift. Now, these, both of these brothers are lost. Neither of them are saved. That's the point of the story. Both of them want what? Their father's money. Both of them want their father's money. It's just they're going about it a different way. One brother, the prodigal, he's very blunt, very upfront, right? So he says, Daddy, give me the money. I'm going to Chicago, you know, right? Very blunt. But the other brother is the opposite. The other brother is surreptitious, sneaky, and he, religious, and he, you know, goes a different way about the same thing. But in the beginning of the story, listen, friends, they're both lost. One of them is lost because he's so bad. And the other one is lost because he's so good. One of them, his sin, has separated him from his father. And the other one, his good works, are separating him from his father. Neither of them love their father. They're both separated. It's just that their sin is different. One is obvious. One is not quite so obvious. One of them's an outright sinner as we would see it. But the other one thinks he's so good that he's become what? Self-righteous? Proud? Demeaning others? He's become smug in his life thinking that he's better than others. And you know the end of the story. Who gets lost? Who goes to hell? The, the, the home is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the, it's the bride coming home, the celebration. Who was at the celebration? The prodigal. Who didn't get to go to heaven? The elder brother. So in the story that Jesus tells, the good boy goes to hell. And the bad boy goes to heaven. Hang on a minute, Jesus. What's going on here? What's happening? But that's ex Jesus making a point, you see. These two boys had two different perspectives. Two very, very different perspectives. One of them, the elder brother, he felt he was so right. I always do what's right. Look at me. I've done the right thing. And look at him. And look how bad he is. The elder brother was self-righteous. And that's pride separating him from God. But the younger brother, he was the opposite. He knew who he was. He knew he was a waster, right? And that was a good thing, if you like, because it helped him come back, helped him come back to God. Which brother are you? I'm both. I'm both brothers. One of the members of the church came to me, and they said this, Pastor Mike, 
help me. I walk with God. I walk strong. I get on with my Christian life and things are going really great. And then do you know what? Shh, don't tell anybody. Then I fall. And then I get up and I walk with God and everything's going great. And then what? Shh, quiet. Don't tell anybody. And then I fall. And I'm walking with God. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. Everything's great. And then, wow. And the person said, what's wrong with me? And I said, nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. You self-righteous by any chance? You ever see a father with their child teaching them how to ride a bike? And and the bike's got stabilizers, you know, and the father's behind the child. And the father says, go on, pedal. And the child pedals. But all the time, who's putting the impetus? Who's doing it? But you're never going to learn a bike that way, are you? So at a certain point, the father takes his hands away. Boof. (laughs) Okay, back on the bike. Let's have another go. Off you go. And this is the self-righteous bit, you see. Self-righteous thinking, look, what, look, look at me. Look what I can do. Okay, let's see what you can do. And down you go. And all of us must learn. You know when you are walking right with God? Do you know who that is? God, thank you. It's God. And the day that you start to think it's you, what do you think your father's going to do? He will step back. And you will, you will repeat that all the days of your life, if you want. But the idea is that God stabilizes you, that he teaches you, he guides you, and then he's able to step back from you. And having had his guidance, having had his fatherhood, you continue in the same principles. You continue with the same walk. Self-righteousness can kill you. It was the elder brother who, in the illustration, goes to hell. He didn't go to the feast. He didn't go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It was the sinner, if you like, the obvious sinner, who repented. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing to start to think of your own goodness. Your own good deeds or good acts can be incredibly dangerous, just as dangerous as sin, because it is sin, It's exactly what it is, okay? Now, how do I know if I'm self-righteous? My friend's going to come and tell me, hey, hey, you're very self-righteous. How do I know? How do you know this morning if you're a self-righteous type? Because that's as dangerous as anything else. And that will separate you from God. That's the purpose of the story. Well, I'll give you a few illustrations there. Five very simple points there that you can analyze yourself about. Number one, what did the older brother do? He was angry. Angry. And if you feel that when things are not going your way, that you have outbursts of anger, that's coming from a very definite sense of entitlement. Now, look at what the older brother did. (laughs) This is what he did. Turned away. Self-isolation. He isolated him self from his family righteous self-righteousness self-righteousness in heart i'm better than you i'm not going to associate with you the separation self-separation terrible thing coming from a feeling of being smug of being better than others and it ended up got him on the wrong road anger because he wasn't getting his own way 
and a feeling of entitlement like everybody owes me because I do what's right. Don't I? I'm always in church, aren't I? I pay my tithe, don't I? And it's only seen when the anger came out. You analyze yourself. Do you have those angry reactions or do you separate yourself from your brothers and sisters? Why is that? <laughs> the root of it, friends, self-righteousness. It's feeling that we're better than others. Or the second one, his response to criticism. The father came, and what did the father do? He pointed out, son, this is not good behavior. This is not good behavior for you to treat your brother like that. And the father's trying to deal with the elder brother. What does the elder brother do? Talks straight. He points straight to his other brother. Instead of taking it, Instead of saying, yes, dad, you're right, I have been proud. Instead of that, he immediately, when criticism comes, he immediately points to someone else, right? Have you got any idea, folks, as a pastor, when you go to people to correct them? <laughs> have you any idea how often people, the first thing out of their mouth will be somebody else? I say, Gordon, why, do, you know, why don't you do this? Very often, well, what about him? <laughs> what, what, them? Right? Very often, it's deflection from our... Remember John chapter 21, one of my favorite scriptures, when Jesus tells Peter he's going to be crucified. Well, what did he say? What did Peter say? What about John? What about John? Deflection. Failure to accept the fact you can have a hot spot, you see? And if someone starts to say, do you know what? I think you're very proud. I think self-right... Don't talk to me like that. What about them? It's a warning sign that you've become unteachable and not able to receive criticism. Pride is a terrible, terrible thing. Amen? Pride is awful. The third point, the inabilities to rejoice in other people's successes. This is critical because this truly is the, the heart of God, the, the Spirit of God. Do you rejoice with other people's success? I don't mean your own family or your own disciples. I don't mean that because that's connected to you. I mean other people. Are you able to rejoice in other people's successes? You see, the party was going on. What did he do? I'm not going. I'm not going to rejoice with him. That's not connected to me. The ability to rejoice in other people's successes is one of the bedrocks, I believe, for a healthy Christian life and certainly healthy churches. Now, if you listen to certain pastors, I've been in a couple of meetings in my life, not many, with, with some well-known people, you know. And in one of those meetings, I won't say who, where, what, why, when, but in one of those meetings, they were talking about men of God around the world. And it was fascinating to me to listen because these were some very good, you know, historical figures, really. And as I was listening, genuine people, as I was listening to them, it was an education for me. Because you know what, folks? Sometimes it's hard, in pastor, with pastors, sometimes it's hard to tell the bad guys from the good guys. You know that? And very often, the people who are screaming that they're the good guys <laughs> are the bad guys. Very often, the more noise they make, they're actually the trouble there. And as I sat with that group, it was fascinating because around the table, they came up with this name, Josh McDowell. Many of you will know him evidence that demands a verdict, questions that need an answer. Excellent author, but they knew him. And the conversation turned to him. 
And you know, around the table, they unanimously said that Josh here was one of the most genuine Christians that they had worked with when they'd had him to speak. He was, he was a man who really reflected God. And one of the things they said about him was this. He rejoiced in the success of others. Rejoicing in the success of others. Do you do that? Or have you got that piece? Graduation is a great time to do it. We go to the graduations at Strathclyde. And you know, when the students are going up, I won't sit on the communion table. When the students are going up, oh, it's not going to hoop and holler, is it? You sit there, and all the congregation, all the crowd can be, oh, oh, well done. Some people will sit. And then their son goes up. Oh, here he comes. Come on. Hey, yo. Okay. That's a bad attitude. Amen. Amen. That's a bad attitude. A bad attitude. Total disinterest in the success of others. That's an interest in my self. That's self-righteousness. And that's the one that want to get again, the heart of the elder brother. The younger brother was generous, you see. Generous not just with finance, but with his heart. Do you know what, folks? Listen. The elder <laughs> the younger brother, prodigal, don't miss the point. He had money, man, I'll spend it, right? But it wasn't just that. It was also, it was probably his nature. The elder brother, he's a miser. Won't give anything to anybody. Keep following me. And then the younger brother gets into sin. And he knows he's going to hell. And do you know what he thinks? My father's big enough. My father has a big enough heart. My father will receive me back. My father's heart is full of love for me and mercy. Because he had a big nature, he believed that God would have a big nature, and he was able to go to his father. But the elder brother, with his stingy heart, he didn't turn to God because he, 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 was, he was projecting, we would call it, but saw God as just a bigger version of himself. And because he had no grace, he thought, well, I'm never going to receive the grace I need. Wrong, elder brother. Wrong. God is not like you. God's heart is not like your heart. God is a loving God, a good God. And in Scripture, Jesus promises that if any of you turn to me, I will not cast you away. I tell you, the gates of heaven, the doors of heaven are open for you this morning. Those of you who are not saved, you turn from your sin. That's the only criteria. Turn from your sin and receive Christ into your life. And you too can be saved. Don't be like the elder brother. So you come to church every Sunday. doesn't make you a Christian, friend. And there's great dangers. But I serve in the church. Great dangers with self-righteousness and pride. That you start to associate the things that you do with yourself? You must be joking. You must be kidding. You deserve nothing in terms of credit. Nothing. Did you hear me? I think of the person probably sacrifices the most in this church. Leanne. You deserve nothing, Leanne. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And when you, get, when you go before God, you know what? They're going to put a crown on your head. And you know what Scripture says you're going to do with it? You know, don't you? You're going to look at Him and you're going to think, what on earth am I wearing this for? What? Jesus, here. Take it. I want nothing to do with self 
righteousness. Because there was no good in me, Jesus. There was no good thing. You know, they said to Jesus, they were admiring Jesus one day. No one is good but God. That was his point. He was trying to let them see. Do you know no good thing comes out of you, the natural man? And any good you do do, it's your father. It's your daddy. And don't have him to teach you that lesson again and again, but rather realize self-righteousness, it can kill you. It can separate you from God. Amen? How well do you rejoice in the success of others? How well do you receive and respond to criticism? Is there anger? You see, you have to think little of people to be angry at them. You have to demean them. If you respect someone, are you angry with them? No, you come with a a lowly spirit. But anger towards your brothers and sisters, this is coming from a lofty heart. That's what it is. You have to demean people in order to be angry at them. So you do a self-critique this morning. And we're always talking about sin and repenting from sin. That's great. No problem. But it's not just sin in you. You also do good stuff. This is a good church. Some of you are great Christians. But you need to be careful of that. Amen. You need to be careful that that doesn't turn and work against you. You know... Years ago, many years ago, I joined my first pastor's group. And we met in a place called Summerhouse Bay in Wales. Now, let me tell you, folks, if you think you've met a self-righteous person, you should have met me then. Because <laughs> we have the Olympics. I should have gone for the Olympics for the most self-righteous git that God ever called into ministry, because that's what I was. Believe me, I'm not joking. If you think I'm obnoxious now, you should have met me then. I was far more obnoxious, far worse than this. You don't think that's possible? It is possible, I tell you. I was terrible. And I went to this pastor's meeting, right? And we were in this place called Summerhouse Bay. And I walked in there, elder brother through and through. Here I am. I always do what's right. And look at this scum. Look at these pastors here. I walked into that room. That was, I'm sorry, guys. I'm just telling you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. I walked in. Listen, they were all having... It's a fellowship time. I didn't want to go to the fellowship. So I took myself over and I sat on my... Where was the elder brother? Wouldn't go to the party. I sat on my own in the corner. And there was this happy, chappy, comedian-type pastor, you know. And he was looking at me and I thought, he's going to have a pop at me in a minute. I'll rebuke him. I'll find a script. I'll rebuke him. And he started walking towards me with his Bible. Listen... I got a word. I was sitting on my own, proud as punch, and God spoke clear. Do you know what he said? One word. Brothers. Brothers. Now, I knew what it meant, but I didn't want to hear it. Do you ever reject a word from God? Well, I rejected that word. I don't want to hear that, God. That's how cheeky and arrogant. That's terrible. Do you know that pastor? He had his Bible open, and he was looking at me, and he started walking over to me, He's happy. I'm not. And he puts his Bible on my lap. And he puts his finger on one word. What do you think the word was? Brothers. And he put his finger, smiling into my face, and he said, see all these men? They're your brothers. There's a good boy. (laughs) You'll snap out of it. 
I didn't snap out of it. I didn't. I left the place as cocky as ever, and it didn't change me because I had too much self-righteousness within me. I was too proud, and it took a lot more grief. Remember the prodigal? Remember my salvation? Well, it was no different with this. I had to wait until things were a complete disaster. That wasn't bad enough. It took God to, or me to utterly destroy myself before I was able to come out of that. Okay? Look at point four. The way you can tell if you've got, if you're self-righteous, broken relationships. Self-righteous people will always have broken relationships. The, the, the elder brother ended up separated from his father, his mother, his brothers, his friends. In fact, who was with him? <laughs> no one. He ended up completely on his own. Now, that was self-isolation. They invited him. Did the father invite him in? Absolutely. Did the prodigal want him? Oh, you better believe it. The prodigal knows who he is. The prodigal knows his heart. He knows he's a bad boy. And he's grateful. He's celebrating because I was lost and now I'm found. Come and join us. Why wouldn't you want to celebrate? Why would you not want to celebrate? And, and you know, for me, the, the, this stuff here, folks, it's the foundation of ministry. It's the foundation of ministry. This is where it lies. Here. It doesn't lie in my certificate. It's in my heart. Amen. It's in a heart for people. A heart to change lives. A heart that celebrates with the law. Celebrates with changed lives. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? The last one is a very dangerous one. He had the inability to receive, uh, to, you know, to forgive the younger brother. That's a terrible thing. Now, listen, folks, everybody look up. Listen, if you do not forgive people their sins, God will not forgive you yours. It's still, I, I still, I'm shocked to even have to say that thing. That still scares the living daylights out of me. But that's what Scripture says. Now, the elder brother, for whatever reason, could not forgive his younger brother, couldn't receive him back. That's a terrible thing, amen? According to this story, he ended up eternally separated from his father. You've got to be careful about your good as well as your bad. Turn from your sin but don't let self-righteousness get you because it's, it's a killer. Now, let me tell you something. Listen real carefully. You, tomorrow morning, you'll go to college. You'll be with the students. You'll be in work. You'll be with your family. Or you'll be in your office, wherever you go tomorrow. Now, is there someone in your office who's the office joke? Is there someone in your school that everybody laughs at and puts down? Is there someone in your family that's the constant slagging post? Do you join them? Do you join in the slander of a colleague or a fellow student? And do you say, yeah, look at them. They're stupid. They're stupid. There's always one, right? There's always one in every family. There's one in every church. There's one in every office. Do you know what, folks? If somebody does something crazy or stupid, I can understand you slandering them one week. And I can understand maybe you make a mistake or you commit that sin. Listen carefully. You could not continue putting someone down 
unless in your heart you had exalted yourself above them. You have to exalt yourself to persecute someone like that. You understand me? That's called self-righteousness. There's always one in every office. And as a Christian, you're there to be different. You're there to, I mean, please don't take me wrong, but I've always defended those I've worked with. In in the places I've went, there's always been someone, and I've made it a point before I was saved, of standing up for people. I remember in one of the jobs I had, there was this guy, I was a young man then, I wasn't saved. It was this guy, and everybody was on about him, criticizing him, and I defended him and everything else. Then on the day when he left, he was driving out of the car park, and the, the social services guys turned and they said, oh, he wasn't that bad. That's what they said. He wasn't that bad. I lost it then. I lost it. I remember standing up and saying, you say he wasn't that bad, now he's leaving, when for three years you've done nothing but slander him. God. I was furious at that. You cannot continually put a colleague down. And you can't participate in the destruction of someone's reputation unless you yourself have exalted yourself above that person. You are seeing yourself as better, thinking of yourself as better, and you need to repent of that. Amen. Now, it's such a temptation just to go. It's the bait of Satan, I tell you. The devil wants self-righteousness in you. Listen to me. Everybody look up. Full attention in Jesus' name. The devil wants you, if he can't get you to sin, what will he get you to be? Self-righteous. How will he do it? Get you to demean someone. Get you to compare yourself with someone. Get you to get a slagging post. You will find someone in your family, in your school, in your office. You will find that person. You mark my words. If the devil can't get you with sin... On, the, on, your, on your lips will be ridicule. And so he'll get you with self-righteousness and pride and you will build, secretly build yourself up and the unction of God, the anointing of God will not fall on you, will not be with your life and you begin the slow path of, of slow spiritual death because of criticism, pride and self-righteousness. It's not just this parable. Many parables, you can find this, old and new. Have you taken the bait? Have you fallen for the trap? Have you not seen it? What you're doing and what it, how it affects your life when you need to see it. And you need to be different in the workplace. Different in your college. Different in your family tree. I've got people in my family tree. I might, I might be one of them. <laughs> I've got people in my family tree that those will criticize or those will put down. Amen? Don't be party to that. Right? Don't be party to that. I, I, I thank God for this. You know, we recently had a family gathering and there's one of our family tree, I won't say who, but she is completely ostracized, ridiculed because of her behavior. She's a real prodigal. And there was about 40 of us in a room And that ostracized prodigal walked in the room. And I thank God for this. She looked at the family and she panicked. And she walked straight over and she sat right beside Jeanette and me. Hallelujah. I thank God for that. Because a sinner knows they're a sinner, you know. And they're just looking for hope. (laughs) Will you help me? There, you'll help me. I see grace. I see a Christian with a heart. 
And that sinner, terrible girl, actually, walked in that room and she could see a self-righteous, a self-righteous, oh, there, there. I can sit there and be accepted. That needs to be you. And the person who gets put down in your office, they need to go to you. They need to go to you and say, don't you do it as well. You support me. You be my friend because you're the light. Amen. You're different. You don't need that. You don't need to build yourself up. You don't need self-righteousness because we have a righteousness that's not our own. We have a righteousness apart from our own good deeds. And I warn you, if anything in your mind or heart, you start to say to yourself, well, I'm not like Everson. Sorry for the comparison. It's just straight off the cuff comparison. You understand? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not like you. You know what you're doing? You secretly begin to build ourselves up and you're on a dangerous road. You see, Jesus died for this, by the way, friends. That's why he said, don't say anybody's good but God. In the Garden of Eden, when they took in that fruit, you changed there. We all changed. Listen close, real close. I know this is meat, not milk, but you need meat sometimes. Your salvation is the story of two trees. One of them was in the Garden of Eden. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody say it. Good and evil. In the garden, God did not want man to have a knowledge of No, there is your problem. It was good and evil. That's, the, that's, my, that's my natural understanding. It was, the, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God did not want you your ancestors to know that true innocence has no concept of good or evil we don't have any true innocence on earth anymore but adam and eve were genuinely innocent innocence the only innocence true innocence is when you have no concept of good or evil now they took it and so man god knew if you get a knowledge of sin you will not be able to cope with it. So I don't want you to have it. But then he also knew, if you get good, and you know what goodness is, you become self-righteous. And so either way, you're going to fall. Either way, I'm going to lose you. So don't touch the tree. Don't touch that tree. They did. And in 2000, well, three and a half thousand years later, what happened? The second tree, which is the, the cross. And the Bible says this, there were two things nailed to the tree. Number one was sin, which is sin, which is evil. And the second thing that was nailed to the tree was the law, which is good. So on the first tree was the knowledge of good and evil. And you can't handle either in and of yourself. So when Jesus Christ came, he wanted to take from you, yes, sin, in all its destructive power, but not just sin. He also died to destroy the, the self-righteous nature within you, which can equally separate you from God. Do you understand? And so as a Christian today, we do not claim any righteousness of our own. And we say 
and we need to believe it, think it, it needs to be my heart. I say that all I do, I give credit to God. All I do, I give credit to God who has guided me, helped me. Leave me alone, God, and I'm down. Leave me alone and I'm out of it. Stay with me, Father. Right? But any other concept, any other mindset in you, you're going to fall. The self-righteousness has no place in us. Okay? Listen. A day came in your life when you realized you were a sinner, like the prodigal. That's good. You repented. Remember? You turned from it. You need to keep repenting because there's more to repent of. And we're also, I repented like the first brother, now I need to repent like the second one. I repented of my sin and turned to God. Now that I've got the kingdom around me, now I've got to be careful of something very different. And that is my good deeds, my works, my ministry, that they don't become, or comparisons that I may make, as he did, building, secretly building myself up. Problem, big problem. Tonight we'll look at the prodigal. Fascinating stuff, fascinating stuff. Things you need to know, not just for yourself, but in order to lead others. Now, Suyin, could you come for us, please? Um, please listen, folks. We want to plant churches all over the world. And we want you to go out anointed. And, and I, I tell you, by the grace of God, He has anointed me in my life, and I've seen some great experiences. And sometimes you do a meeting where God really moves. I think of the Indian meeting we did in London a couple of years ago. That was one, that was God moved in that place. And I know what it feels like for a very strong anointing to come upon me, right? Listen to me. Let me give you a little insight. See when I'm sitting on the front row and it's just, they're just about to call me up. Happens every time. Do you think I'm thinking of how good I am? Do you think I'm thinking of how bad I am? I'm not thinking about anything. Um, it's like a restoration of true innocence. I'm not conscious of anything. I'm not conscious of how good I am. I'm not conscious of how bad I am. Because as soon, as soon as you start to think about how bad you are, your faith is gone. You're finished. You can't minister properly. As soon as you start to think about how good you are, it's the same problem. If you get up here and you start thinking, well, I'm, I, I'm it, you can forget the anointing. Because it doesn't work. God hates that. He detests pride. And he can see straight through you. And it doesn't flow. The anointing doesn't flow. And I, I'm a normal man just like you. And I struggle with pride and this, that, and the other. Listen to what I'm saying. But when the anointing comes, the first thing God does to my heart, he anesthetizes me to my own sense of right and wrong. And you come up and I'm just conscious of one thing. I have a God. I have a Savior. Savior, come and bless. Come and minister. And I think that's the ultimate lesson from the story of the prodigal son. And God would say to you this morning, well done, child. You turned from your sin and I saved you. But you're not finished. You've fallen for it, haven't you? You start to associate the things you do with yourself. And that's a big mistake. You could do nothing, nothing without him. And even our good deeds are like 
filthy rags in his presence. I want you to imagine one moment the hands of your Father God upon your shoulders and you setting out on your Christian life. And I want you to acknowledge him now. Say, Father, I fell off the bike and I've been off and on that bike for years. This morning, would you put your hands on me and stabilize me again? And let me not fall for pride or self-righteousness, comparing myself with others as if I'm something. Let me not do that, God. And in my workplace and in my family, let me be the different one. Let me be the one they go to when they need help, when they're bullied and they're put down. Let me be the one that they say, could I sit beside you? Because I think you'll accept me just the way I am. God, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for taking away our sin. But God, we understand that there's so much more in me there's so much more in us. There's pride, self-righteousness, building ourselves up, and then isolating ourselves in some freaky, weird way that the devil wants. And God, this morning, we acknowledge that we are, we are sinners, saved sinners. And I acknowledge that it's God's strength in me that enables me to walk, not mine, your strength at work in me. For I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. And the things we do, we do through you, Holy Ghost, enabling us and strengthening us. And we give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. And God, each of us thinks of our own lives. If in any way we have sought the praise of men, if in any way we've taken the things of God and use them as a means for making ourselves look better. Forgive us this morning. We recognize it this morning. And we ask you to put an anointing upon us. Remove that knowledge of good and evil, as it were. All good is you and comes from you. And we reject evil, Father, outright. Outright. 